You're listening to Beyond the Ordinary, a show about the companies, founders, and ideas that are shaping the future of health, science, and financial technology. Here's your host, Tommy Martin. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to Beyond the Ordinary. I'm here today with my good friend, Christophe Desenia. He is a Frenchman, and he likes to keep it simple. When I asked, how do you want to be introduced? He really didn't want it to be about him. He wanted it to be about their revolutionary grocery store concept, Jack B. That is a new, truly revolutionary grocery store concept. It is absolutely beyond the ordinary. And I'm so excited to talk with Christoph today. Just to give you a little bit of what's to come, this is a drive through grocery store where your order is ready in 10 minutes or less. And amazingly, you actually get the actual items you wanted because you can only order what is actually in stock. I mean, imagine this. My whole life would be totally different. All items are fresh and they are ready the way that you need them. So for example, if you need bananas for today, you are going to get yellow bananas. If you need bananas for later this week, you are going to get green bananas. So we will talk about all this and much, much more on how do you take this kind of old school concept of the grocery store where you're walking in and self-selecting your items And then you have this futuristic state of everything's being delivered, but it's not being delivered well. And how do you kind of morph all that into the next level concept that goes way beyond that? So I'm really excited to talk with Christoph about that. His role at Jack B is he's one of the four co-founders who has come up with this revolutionary concept. And he is the chairman of the board. So his job is really to work on the business rather than in the business. And this has absolutely been his favorite professional experience of his life so far. So Christoph, we are so thankful to have you today on Beyond the Ordinary. Tommy, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure and uh, nice to meet everyone here. Listeners, one of the things we always disclose is any financial relationship with our guests. So even though I am speaking very, very highly of what they do, they have not paid us to come on the show here. By the time you are listening, I will most likely have made a personal investment into Jack B. I really like what they're up to. And they have a WeFunder campaign that's going to go live in the next couple of weeks here in September of 2022. And so by the time you're listening, we probably will have a financial relationship, but we don't at this moment. And they are certainly not paying for advertising space on our show. We think their concept truly is beyond the ordinary. So we're glad to have them here, but need to get that out of the way. So Christoph, our listeners absolutely love hearing people's stories. And we definitely want to spend some time talking about Jack B. But prior to that, let's hear about your story. You know, you grew up in Monte Carlo. And, you know, for many of us listening, this is like this, one of the most exotic destinations in the world. I've never been there. But tell me what it was like to, you know, grow up in Monte Carlo. And then how did you eventually land in a position where you would be launching a grocery store concept out of Oklahoma City? Great question. So what most people don't realize is uh, Monte Carlo is the second smallest country in the world. So it's less than a square mile. There's about 33, 34,000 people that live there, but it's only 5,000 nation, like national 
It was like living in a small village where there's always a lot of tourists and a lot of people around you, but climate is, is fantastic and surrounded by the mountains and the culture is really nice and warm. But at the age of 10 years old, my parents separated and then I uh, ended up moving to the French Alps. A little bit more rustic, but it was uh, such a great experience from a humility standpoint, just to move out of maybe a more of a superficial lifestyle to maybe more of a grounded lifestyle. And my mom was uh, a restaurant owner and she was the chef. So I spent a lot of time in the kitchen with her. And both of my parents being entrepreneurs, I had a sense pretty pretty early on that I would end up myself in business. I love the idea of building things and building business and building teams and just uh, achieving things you know, together with other people that are uh, like-minded and relationally compatible and strategically aligned. And so after that, I just decided to go and study business. And I was also intrigued by languages. And so growing up speaking only French, I thought it'd be a great idea to go and do my undergrad in Canada, in Toronto, to learn English. I studied English. It was rough the first two, three months, but again, taught me a lot of humility. People making fun of my accent to this day still remains, but you know, it's good fun. I don't mind it a lot. And then same thing, I came back to France to do my master in management, but I had the opportunity to go and do my MBA in Venezuela in Spanish. And so I got the opportunity to really learn a lot about different cultures and, and study business from different cultures and different languages. When I finished my MBA, I came back to France and I had the opportunity to start a technology company. And the goal was to offer like a software that was enabling blind people to listen to the newspaper through voice synthesis technology which in 2002 was pretty novel. The company we're working with was called Scansoft, and uh, they were based in the Silicon Valley. And it was costing a lot of money for people at the time to have a bright keyboard and voice recognition software, voice synthesis software. And so we're able to do a deal both on the technology side and also with uh, the, the newspaper publishers to, to offer that at the similar price. But two years into it, got invited to church for the first time. And I grew up really in a non-Christian background, but during that phase, I just sensed something different in my life, and I think God captured my heart, and uh, I had a 180-degree change of heart, really, and went to my two partners, sold the business, enrolled to Bible College, went in Denmark. I thought it would stay three months, ended up staying two years. Did a lot of mission work, never really took a sabbatical. Christoph, wait, so I have to ask about this. And we have listeners that really come from all backgrounds uh, from a faith standpoint, some that are Christians, some that are Muslims, some that are atheists. So we're glad you're here, no matter what that background is. But it sounds like, Christoph, you had such a change in your life that you decided to actually sell out of your business and leave the business partnership that you were in. Like, I want to go on beyond that. But what was it that, you know, really caused you to have that? You talked about that 180 degree change. What was the part of that 180 degree change that really caused you to say, I need to leave this business partnership and move on to something different? It's a great question, Tommy. I think it was really growing up with, you know, successful parents in business. I often felt the need to prove myself or a sense of not being completely fulfilled. And I was always surrounded by people. And so I was never really alone physically, but I very often felt lonely. And when that 180 degree change happened in my life, for the first time, I guess, I I felt that sense of maybe fulfillment and just maybe getting getting a little bit more purpose in, in my life. And 
as I said before, really not taking any gap here was just, I was so driven. I was working a lot. I was involved in my parents' businesses and always thinking about starting my own businesses and never really took time to reflect as maybe I did when I was a kid, you know, just about what's the meaning of life or, you know, who created us. And those were questions I had not asked myself a long time. And so it was just a a season of, of maybe just hitting the pause button and just saying, okay, this this is going to be, you know, perhaps a long life here. Maybe not a bad idea to just take a little bit of time to reflect and just try to understand more, you know, what, what's my purpose in life? And I found in, in God, maybe a little bit more clarity as to almost like if you buy a Toyota, right? Who is best than Toyota to fix your Toyota, right? They, they created manual because they assembled it. And when I read the Bible the first time, it felt a little bit like that. Like if I accept the truth that God created me and that he left the Bible almost as a guide for our lives, why not taking the time to read to read that Bible and, and just try to, to find a little more about God and live live a life maybe filled with purpose? And and like you, I'm I'm very respectful of the beliefs, other religions, and uh, I think my my encouragement is more 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 so about taking time to reflect and 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 to find purpose. It's so so important. You mentioned this concept of the gap year, Christoph, and you know I know around the world that's actually a pretty common thing. Here in the United States, it's very uncommon. So tell our listeners about this. Maybe a lot of our listeners haven't heard about how the rest of the world kind of treats that. Yeah, a gap year really is spending the time exploring things that perhaps you feel you don't have time to to do on an ongoing basis, right? So if you start working straight out of college, you know, maybe you get one week vacation, maybe two if you're lucky, and and that doesn't give much time if you if you want to visit parents or you know or close friends to maybe go and explore the world a little bit, or maybe try new experiences or maybe try to get better at something you always wanted to get better at. And so there's a lot of people in Europe and you know, also in Oceania and perhaps even a little bit in the Middle East that sometime at some point you know, during college years, either before, during or after, would take six months to a year and just go and explore a little bit and take some time for reflection before perhaps committing to a career or to a relationship or uh, anything like that. And sometimes it's a bunch of friends going together on an adventure. And let's say, you know, let's go to Costa Rica for three months and surf. Like, you know, we're decent surfers, but let's take time to become really good surfers and, and maybe explore yoga or other things. Or like me, you know, go to Bible college and do some mission work in, you know, Eastern Europe and, and read the Bible for a year. So it's maybe different mindset, maybe different culture, different opportunities. But most of the time it's positive. I would say. And for most people, it's a time of their life that they tend to cherish and, and remember for all the adventure and, and and the unusual things that perhaps they've done during that time. You know, that resonates so much with me, Christoph. I was just at a basketball game a few months back and it was senior night and the parents came out and they would say, here's student so-and-so, here's where they're going to college, and this is what they're going to be studying. And I just remember sitting there in the stands, thinking back to myself as a senior in high school, realizing the two or three different things I thought I was going to study at that point were not even close to where I would end up spending my career or my life. 
And, you know, I think we put a lot of pressure on our students to have to decide, you know, what their future is going to look like as they're coming out of high school. And a lot of times they're still just trying to figure out who they are. I know for me and, you know, probably most of the people I know, we were still trying to figure that stuff out. So that concept of having some time to get out there and really explore, do some jobs, figure out what you like, figure out what you don't like. I think some of that's just really needed. So hopefully we'll see more of that. Actually, I've heard that from a lot of students that are saying, I'm, I'm not going straight to college this time because they realize, you know, I don't know what I want to study yet. And I, I heard a student say just last week, until I figure out what I want to do, I don't want to go waste money. And I was like, hey, you know, you've actually got your head on pretty straight there. So it was neat. So you come out of you come out of Bible college in Denmark and do your missions work in Eastern Europe. And then that's going to lead back to this, eventually to this revolutionary grocery store concept. So take us the rest of the way there. After Denmark, I decided to move to, to London, England. And the best story about this, this season of my life is three days after I moved to London, I met my wife. She was doing a master's at uh, London School of Economics. And uh, we met three days after I arrived. We became good friends and about six months later, started dating and 10 months later, got engaged. And then we eventually got married in Monaco a few months later, 2008. We've been married now for 14 years and we've got three wonderful kids. When I got to London, I was really asking myself about whether to continue maybe more of a missional work or going back to business. And at the time, I was not really aware of the possibility of combining both both ends, really, and work for a business that was maybe you know, having similar values that you would find in you know mission field. And, and so I started working for a uh, big media company that eventually got acquired by Apex Private Equity Group and the Guardians Media Group, which was really my first exposure to private equity. And I learned a ton. And after that, I got invited by a partner in France to start a, uh, an event company with the Olympic Games coming to London. So I started in you know, a business from scratch to help in that, in that field and had a, an exit after three and a half years. And then some friends had started a recruitment company to recruit teachers from Australia, New Zealand, and Canada to place them in England. And my wife was involved with that organization. They had started a social enterprise where the, the proceeds were going to take those same teachers during term break and take them to India and Uganda to train local teachers there that had never been trained to be teachers. And I had an opportunity to step in and to cover the business and do a turnaround and, and basically scale the business and position it to being ready for strategic acquisition and did that and then got introduced to a private equity group based out of Indiana. And they were looking for someone to help them identify opportunities for investment in Europe and East Africa. And about a few months later, we made a first investment in Tanzania. And at that point, they offered to relocate us to Indiana. And so March 2015, we moved to Fort Wayne, Indiana, where I got to spend a little bit over five years working full-time for that private equity company. We got the opportunity to get mentored by a phenomenal gentleman that has has been successful in business, but also a great track record investing in people in his team and helping them being the better version of themselves and really helping them grow in areas where they have an opportunity to to, to get better. So it's been really um, five fantastic years. I still work for that organization on retainer on a couple of their boards of directors for some of their affiliate companies. But something happened in summer of 2019. My father was diagnosed with a terminal cancer. So I, I decided to resign to 
to you know from full time position to care for him. He was he was in France and and so I spent three or four months of the following eight months in France. I was about to be a donor, a stem donor for his uh, leukemia. Unfortunately, got a different plan and he got upgraded to to heaven. And uh, May twenty twenty left us. I like how you said he got upgraded to heaven, Christoph. That's I've not heard it yeah. put that way before, but I I love that imagery. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, it was. Uh, you know, there's the, the, some dear friends that lost their, their parents or dear ones, you know, through an accident or a heart attack. And and the truth is, even though I still miss my dad, you know, personally, I had like this wonderful eight months where I was able to spend a lot of time with him and we're able to to have uh, many meaningful conversations and. It was sweet moments. And then came to a point where pain was really hard for him. And so I think when he left us, it was to go to a better place. At least that's my belief. And so that's the way I like to present it because I believe in it. But two months prior he passed, lockdown happened with COVID. And so March 2020, lockdown, school that closed. I'm in Fort Wayne. My kids are going to school that doesn't have really a backup plan for online school and uh, end up homeschooling my kids. And then I really felt that it was the right thing to do. So I continued doing that. I started Jack B in June 2020. And then in that summer, I felt like I could possibly start a business and homeschool my kid at the same time. My wife was an executive for a local organization. And this was in the middle of the COVID pandemic. I mean, this is That's right. really at the, at the beginning. This is kind of right after it launched. So, so you decided to start and launch a revolutionary grocery concept at the beginning of the pandemic. I love it. That's right. So done that and then felt like investing time in my, in my children and homeschool them. They give me a lot of flexibility to start working on the business. And then things evolved. And uh, today we, two and a half years into it, two years into it, we're ready to open three stores, you know, beginning of 2023. But based on the fact that we lost my dad in May 2020, we also felt it was the right thing to come and spend a year in France. So I'm currently in the French Alps, spending a year here. My kids are starting school this week, Thursday, the 1st of September. And and then I'm traveling back to the US more or less every six weeks to be with my partners, but work remote for the most part. And it's been fantastic. Well, this is a perfect segue, Christoph. Let's dive right in and tell us about Jack B. How did this concept for a totally new way to get your groceries, how did this originate? Well, I like to give credit where it's due. And so one of the co-founders of Jack B, Jennifer Neef, in 2002, 2002, 2003, she was attending a church in Wichita, Kansas. And the gentleman was a doctor, age 45, 46, lost his wife from cancer. You know, they had four kids. And Jennifer was a single woman at church. And she she really felt like it could be helpful to go and help this man grieve by going and helping with the kids for maybe three or four weeks. And at the end of those four weeks, the doctor, his name is Doc, called her and said, thank you so much for helping me during that, that grief. By the way, I fell in love with you. And so they ended up getting married. They ended up having another four kids together. And so five years later, this uh, single woman ended up being a mom of eight. By the time she had three kids, one night, November 2005, she went to Brahms, which is a ice cream, burger, fast food. But uh, inside the Brahms, they've got a small grocery store with maybe 500 SKUs, enough to prep like, you know, steak and salad or something like that. And she had four teenagers at home that were drinking a gallon of milk or two by, you know, per day. And one of the kids was sick. It was icy. She asked the guy at the drive-thru, she said, sir, would it be possible 
for you to sell me a gallon of milk. I know it's in the store, but I'm willing to pay an extra five or 10 bucks. But if I don't have to get out of the car, that'd be wonderful. And the employee said, I'm really sorry, but we cannot do that. If you want milk, you have to come inside the store. About a month later, something similar happened. She had to get some medicines for the kids and she felt really bad to go inside the CVS to basically potentially contaminate, you know, other people with a sick kid. And, and then she realized that at that time, it was possible to get junk food that is not good for your health from drive through but you cannot get fresh food or medicine. So since then, we know that CEF and a lot of pharmacy now offer drive through which is great. And then obviously, you know, a lot of things have evolved in the last six, seven years you know, in the online grocery industry. But she had the idea. And about late 2019, the idea came back. Uh, and she said, I think now is the time before even COVID started. And so she called Alex, another co-founder, and, and they basically started talking about it. And then I met Alex in February. And then we kept talking about it. And then June, we decided that it was the time and we started Jack B. You know, listeners, my favorite businesses are ones that start from somebody trying to solve a problem. And obviously, in this case, one of the problems is it takes a lot of energy. I mean, I have three kids, not eight. And I remember on those rare occasions where I was the one going to the grocery store with all three children, it was not easy. You know, it's a very much a first world problem. I recognize that. I'll call it what it is. But it's not easy to take multiple children through the grocery store. And that's not even to speak about so many kids you see at the checkout line. And why do they put candy bars at the kid's height at the checkout line? For one reason and one reason only, because they know there are so many parents, they're going to be too embarrassed to listen to their kid throw the tantrum if they say no, that they're going to just buy the candy bar. And the child knows. They've been trained very, very well. If I act like I'm about to throw a tantrum, my parent will buy me a candy bar at the checkout. So avoiding that grocery store experience altogether. And then during COVID, we started to have all this grocery delivery. And Christoph, I remember in our house, initially we thought, this is the best thing ever. Oh my goodness. We absolutely love this. We don't have to go out to get our groceries anymore. But our experience, and I know the experience of many, many, many of our friends has been, there's so many substitutions these days that I think actually there were a group of our friends were sitting around. This was last weekend and they were just comparing notes on why they have to go to this grocery store to get this item because they know they'll have it, but then they have to go to this other grocery store for this other item. And then, but that one is way too overpriced on a different item. And so they have to go to a different grocery store. So I'm listening to these friends and they're talking about how in a given week, they will often visit two to four different grocery stores in order to get all the things that they actually need for their family and they're sick of delivery because it's just constant substitution after substitution after substitution. And they're just not getting what they even ordered to begin with. So how do you combat that? How do you combat that as a grocery store to make sure that when we show up, even though we're going through this more convenient drive through concept now, how do we make sure that when we show up, we're actually getting what we ordered? It's a great question. When we started the business, I wanted to make sure that there was some data 
verification, a lot of business starts on fillings. And often the founders like something better. So they think everybody else in the world will like it better too. And uh, a lot of the you know, tend to have only 10% success rate. And so the first round, we basically raised about half a million and we spent 90% of that in, in doing pure research and analyzing the market. And so a few things came up that I'm going to share, which hopefully will, will bring some decent insight to your audience is about 70% of Americans don't know what they are going to eat for dinner by 2 p.m. Another interesting stat is that uh, the average American family with two children or less spends 70 minutes grocery shopping per week. 70 minutes. That is shocking, Christoph. I mean, that's a lot of time. It's a lot of time. And to be honest, if you got more than two kids, you could easily go up to two hours. And so if you grocery shop from the age of 20 to the age of 70, you can easily spend 150 to 200 days of your life grocery shopping. And people are used to it. And in fact, that amount of time increased over time because people want more of more of more. And so where grocery stores 40, 50 years ago used to have five, 10,000 SKUs, now they have 40 to 60, 70,000 SKUs. So when you go and you look at the ketchup aisle, you've got 27 ketchup. Even if you know the one you want, just to find it, it may take you 10 seconds before it may have taken you like two seconds. So the time that you spend grocery stores have increased. And by SKUs, you mean individual items inside of the grocery store. That's correct. Individual items. Christoph, how many individual items did you say are in the typical grocery store these days? Between thirty to 45,000 if it's a medium store. And then if you think about your mega stores, you can have up to 70,000, 80,000 individual items. But most people don't use nearly that many of items, right? I mean, we probably, our family probably consistently uses far less than that because we're buying the same items over and over. We buy the same type of ketchup every single time we go to the grocery store. You're very right. And so the other part that we've learned, you know, the rule of 80-20, where we ask our uh, research company, how many products represent 80% or more of the sales in each of the categories? There's about 130 categories in a grocery store. And it was a staggering 11%. And so if you think about your 27 ketchups, uh, you've got three of those that represent 80% of the sales uh, or more. And that's the choice that we've made as Jack B's. We're only going to carry those 11% of items. And so when you come and shop, you know, with us online on our app or on our website, you would have only three or four ketchups. And usually it would be your, your name brand, let's say Tomato Heinz. You're going to have your family pack. You're going to have your high value pack and like your private label, cheaper version. And then you're going to have your low fructose organic version. And so those are the four ketchups that we'll get probably in a medium size for three and then one family pack that would be bigger, larger. But those those four ketchups represent 80, 80% or more of the sales in your typical grocery stores. And then if people want a different type of ketchup, that's something they can do during a monthly shopping, which we're not going to replace, or they can order it online. And there's, there's a space for specialty. But, but what we found is that on weekly shopping, families tend to buy 80% of the same products every week. So you're going to buy your milk, your bread, your tomatoes, your bananas, your cereals, your orange juice, your eggs. But there's not a lot of changes. Like there's the core products that every family purchased every week. So then it becomes about convenience and quality of the product and then no substitution. So the last two years, really, we've been working hard at that. 
And that was my follow-up question then, Christoph, is then how do you make it so there's no substitutions? I mean, that's part of the concept here that absolutely is revolutionary. Nobody's doing that. How can you even make that possible? So if you think about the online ordering right now, so let's say someone uh, orders at Kroger or Walmart. 95% of the cases, they're going to send someone in the store to basically pick up the order for you. So substitution comes from two or three possible ways. One is by the time you order, it was still in the inventory system, but by the time someone come pick it up, there's in-store customers. So that product may have been you know, taken away by someone else. Second is human error. If you send someone that is fairly untrained, picking three or four or five orders at the same time, and going back to the ketchup example, they have to pick one ketchup out of 27. And tomato hands, for example, may have five different sizes. You know, they may just pick up the wrong size, you know, either to take the smaller one, or the larger one. So there's human error. And then there's the also sometimes the misunderstanding. So like you read uh, strawberries, but someone wanted frozen strawberries. And so you, you get one or the other instead of the right one. And so for us, the way we avoid substitution is simple. You order online and you need to pick the store from which you're going to order. Usually that would be probably three to five miles from where you live. And we have no in-store customer. So our point of sale is directly linked to our inventory management system. And if we don't have it in our inventory, you cannot see it on the point of sale. So you cannot order it. So if any substitution, you would have to make it yourself. So, you know, if we got four ketchup, but that day we only have three in stock, you'll have to pick one of the three. But we will not put the one we don't have in stock, you know, for you to see here. There will be no substitution. 100% of what you order, you will get. And the way you've achieved that, I mean, this is like so novel for the grocery industry is because nobody's walking down those aisles from the moment you order Nobody can take your item that's already spoken for. And so that is a totally different system of inventory management than any other grocery store is doing right now. That's what I really like about this concept at Jack B. And so, Christoph, with our remaining time, tell us about where Jack B is going to launch. Yeah. Another part of the research we've done, Tommy, is we wanted to know from the segment of online ordering how much of that was going through delivery and how much of that was going through pickup. What we found out is that post-COVID 2021, more than 11% of the entire market, you know, grocery was ordered online. But a lot of people would think with you know big brands like Instacart or Ship that the majority of that is going through delivery. But what most people don't know is actually 75% of this market share is pickup. And so the reason for for that is people want to control when they come and pick it up and they want to control the quality. So we chose locations in uh, the first three locations will be in Oklahoma City. And we chose locations that are really close to where people live. And two of the three that we chose are actually food deserts with people averaging, you know, 90,000 to 95,000 dollar per annual income per family hold. So our location are usually 10,000 home in a one mile radius, 20 to 25,000 home in a three mile radius, 30 to 35,000 traffic during the day, you know, surrounded by schools and sports academies. And in the first two locations, the first one, we have no grocery store in a 4.5 mile radius. And the second one, we have no grocery store in a three mile radius. And what we found is that on grocery shopping, most people tend to shop in you know, a three mile radius. Even if they prefer another grocery store, they will go for the monthly shopping or exceptionally to get some products. But for like the day to day, you know, buying the 80% quarter products, they look at convenience. So they look at something that is close by. 
So we strategically chose those those places. You know, most of those are close to a corner. And the reason is wanted to be conveniently located for our customers so that on the way to work or on the way to dropping the kids to school or picking them up, they can literally stop by and get the food uh, in the trunk. And one thing that we're going to do to uh, save them time when they arrive home is we're going to pack all the dry items in clear bags, all the refrigerated items in green bags and all the frozen items in blue bags. So when they come home, they don't have to open 20 bags to try to find like, where's the ice cream? Where's the butter? Where's this? Where's that? But they wouldn't know already where where things are are supposed to be going. So we're trying to save time for people on the front end. Like they're going to order from 4,000 products instead of 40,000 products. So it should take them less time. You know, the order will be prepared in less than 10 minutes, but when they come to pick it up, it's a drive-through where they don't have to back out or to get out of their car. We, we just scan a QR code when they arrive in the drive-through bay and we put them in their car in less than three minutes and then they, they can just go. They never have to to be behind someone. And then when they arrive home, they know where their, their products are, are going. They don't have to, to spend too much time. So we think that time is probably something that people value the most. And then no substitution, quality of products while you know picking them up as they would pick for themselves is is the other things that we want to provide for to our customers. I absolutely love this concept, Christoph. And I think your team has been so intentional about going to the customer and finding out what are the customer's actual needs. And I think that's something a lot of businesses miss. So really applaud your team on that. This has been fantastic. We're going to move into my favorite part of the show where I actually get to ask you two questions. The first is the question everybody wants to know. And what our listeners know is it's actually the question I want to know. And some of them might want to know. And then the final question will be the real question that I know some of our listeners will want to know. So my question for you today, Christoph, and we have several listeners who are founders of businesses or they are would-be founders. And one of the things founders are always thinking about is where do I get my capital? If I need to raise capital, where do I raise it? Do I raise it from angel investors? Do I raise it from venture capital? And your company has used multiple sources, but one of the sources that you're about to embark on is WeFunder. And before we ask about your specific opportunity with WeFunder, which will be my final question for you, but before we go into that, for those founders out there listening in or those would-be founders, what was it that made you as a business decide WeFunder is going to be an appropriate funding mechanism for part of our capital raise. How did you choose WeFunder? And what was it that made you say, we want to do this crowdfunding concept? If you allow me, I would just give a little like background on what we've raised to date. And not so much to, to talk about the amount, but we raise money from wealthy individuals. We raise money from private equity. And every time we raise money, we always ask ourselves, you know, can we raise money from people that not only align with our values and believe in the business, but also can they bring something to the business outside of just the money? And so most of our partners on the technology development side, on the real estate development side, even our, our bank, our marketing company, and insurance company, a lot of them have invested in the business, which really changed things for them because instead of seeing us as a customer, they see us as a true partner. And so it's been fantastic to raise money from people that are so invested in the business. When we thought about WeFounder, we thought about what is the biggest risk for us at this stage. So we got a technology that is working really well. We've got three buildings that are under development right now that would be ready in November, December, and January for openings in January, February, and March. 
what is the biggest risk for now? And the biggest risk, I believe, is really customer acquisition, customer adoption, customer retention. And for all of the people that are in the online business or e-commerce, they know that customer acquisition or the cost of acquisition of customers, CAC, is one of the greatest costs. And it's, you know, the, the better you control that, you know, the, the greater chance you have to, to be successful and manage your cash burn and, and your runway. And so we're introduced to WeFounder and I've seen a lot of crowdfunding platform for objects or things, but never quite for a service company. And the whole thesis here is we want to raise money from our future customers. And so the idea of WeFounder is not so much that we need to raise a lot more money. It's just to try a new platform for us to acquire customers and almost make them brand ambassadors. So imagine your PTAs and, you know, your moms that perhaps, you know, we're talking about people that live three miles, like they make under $100,000 per family. Under SEC, you cannot invest more than $2,000 in private businesses because they're not protected. They're not, you know, there's no policies. And so now they, they can invest in a private business somewhere where they're going to go and shop. And now imagine if, you know, one of those mom invests in us $1,000. Now she's going to go to all of her friends and say, hey, you know what? I'm an investor in this new grocery store called Jagby. It's amazing. You should become an owner too for $1,000. And then there's a couple of perks. If you invest now, like... You'll be invited to the soft launch and you get a few you know, merchandising things, but it's great. And they become investors like any other investors. So they will get access to, you know, basically we found her once we closed the round, create an LLC that invests into Jack B. And then they have one manager. And then when we distribute dividends in the future, and they basically will distribute one lump sum to we founder and then they will basically distribute dividends on a product basis based on all the people that invested on we founder. And so we're testing the platform as we're looking at, you know, in the next round, if we can prove the concept successfully with the first three stores, we think we found there can be a way for us to go to market, do a little bit of PR, you know, acquire customer at the same time as raising money and, and building a base of ambassadors, our brand ambassadors. So that's the, I would say that we're trying to achieve with WeFounder. I love that, Christoph. And, you know, to break that down as quickly as I can for our founders listening in out there, it sounds like what Jack B decided is, look, for a portion of our customer acquisition cost, whatever we have to pay WeFunder to go out and actually raise this capital on their crowdfunding platform, it's worth it. We're going to try this. We're going to experiment. And it sounds like WeFunder is going to have some mechanism to especially try to target those local consumers, or at least you're going to get the word out about the WeFunder to those people living within a few miles of these launch locations. And if it goes well, then you'll rinse and repeat and do it again. I think it's absolutely brilliant. And I love your, you know, you're shooting a bullet before you fire a big cannonball. This is a low cost method to try it out. And if it goes great, keep doing it over and over. So thank you for sharing kind of the methodology behind that. Those of you listening, you're like, what is this WeFunder stuff? Um, there are now some crowdfunding platforms out there. And the idea is that you don't have to invest $10,000 or $50,000 or $500,000 to get in on investing in ground level companies or earlier stage companies. Obviously, there's a lot of risk anytime you're in the early stage space, because as Christoph mentioned earlier, a lot of these companies don't end up making it. But this is a way that people that aren't yet those accredited investors or qualified investors that have big net worths can still invest in these early stage companies. And it's one of the ways that the SEC and really society has said, 
we want to help make it so it's not always the rich getting richer. Well, our previous laws, you couldn't invest in these things unless you were already rich. And so it made it very difficult to get in on these ground level companies. But these crowdfunding platforms like WeFunder, and there are others out there, these crowdfunding platforms actually give away that the everyday person can go and actually invest a little bit of money, even if it's $500 or $1,000 to actually become an owner. And then, uh, you know, you're hearing Jack B say they're going to try to then leverage that brand recognition from their owners to help spread the word and gain more and more customers. So I really do hope that works out well. That's going to take us into our last question. And I need to give some disclosure right up front, listeners, that we have Beyond the Ordinary. We don't recommend any specific investments on this show. And just the fact that I might be an investor in Jack B by the time you're listening to this doesn't mean it's the right investment for you. So please make sure you talk with your own advisors to figure out if this is the right fit for you. But at the time this episode goes live, Jack B should be available out on WeFunder. And so, Christoph, tell listeners if they're interested in checking out Jack B on WeFunder, how do they go do that? Yes. So the, the website would be wefunder.com slash Jack B, J-A-C-K-B-E. And when you go on a website, there will be videos to explain the concepts. There would be some highlights. There would be some slides. There would be also the terms that explain we, we are going to be into a safe, which is a vehicle before getting into series A. Safe means simple agreement for future equity. And we're offering a discount of 10% for the first $200,000 that we raised through WeFounder. And then uh, 5% for anyone coming after 250 up to a million dollars. And there will be also access to coming to the soft opening and uh, getting also a few perks based on the amount that you invest or if you recommend that to a few friends. And of course, if any questions you know comes to mind, there will be information on the WeFounder page for you to get in contact with some of our staff or founding team to ask for the question if you have any further interest. Listeners, you heard it from Christoph. That's wefunder.com slash Jack B. And if we get it compliance approved, we'll put that in our show notes uh, and you can click from there and go check it out. Uh, we are so thankful to have had Christoph join us today to hear about how something goes from an idea to actual execution. And it takes a team, as you've heard. It also takes funding. And we've got to put all that together to actually go roll it out. And it's really exciting to see Jack B do that. And hopefully we'll have Christoph back here maybe six months from now or a year from now after these first three stores launch. Let's bring him back and let's get an update on how everything's gone. I think that'd be fantastic. So Christoph, thank you so much for joining us. And listeners, thank you for joining us. We can't do this show without you. So thanks for joining us here at Beyond the Ordinary. Tommy, thank you so much, my friend. And uh, thank you to all of you who have taken the time to listen. And thank you for all the work you're doing also with your own businesses or your own venture. Uh, it matters. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Ordinary. This podcast is brought to you by Mammoth and produced by Reverb. If you like this show, consider sharing it with a friend. You can subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about Mammoth and Beyond the Ordinary, visit us at mammoth.vc.